0: Hello, and welcome to episode five, season one of the NCG Golf Podcast. I'm very, very, very much looking forward to this one. It's just me and Steve. Last few weeks, I've had to share him about with special guests and goodness who knows who else. Paul Laurie, UK golf guy, they've all had a piece of Steve, but this week it's back to just me and me. It's been a
1: while, hasn't it? It most certainly has, hasn't it? I feel like I've been tossed around. <laughs> I bet you haven't been playing golf, have you? I actually did last Saturday. No. Um, in between, it, yes, in between all this dastardly weather, I did manage to play a round of golf. at At the course that we must not name. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Pushing it I mean, like, in, we're, we're, in like, we're,
1: we're like, what's the record for getting close house into the NCG golf podcast? I think we're probably getting, we're not even a minute in.
0: The first few seconds, yeah. Come on then. Who with? What was it all about?
1: I played with my old school friend. Um, there, who's obviously a member there. He lives in the village. Um, we've got um, a foursomes game. We've got our quarterfinal game coming up, not this weekend, but next weekend. So we were getting some practice in. And did that, you practice playing foursomes? No, we didn't. Oh um, come on, that would have been proper trihard. I know, I know, that would have been absolutely fantastic, wouldn't it? Um, but we are, we are, God willing, a couple of games from glory. So who knows what'll happen next weekend? We're so giving shots the- away this time. This I don't winter, know how many.
0: The winter foursomes, presumably.
1: It is the winter
0: foursomes, the
1: final. You are,
0: you, I tell you what, you're now, if not regular lad, are you? Do you? You
1: barely miss a week, do you? I miss plenty of weeks these days, but um, I mean, I'm not playing golf at all this weekend, but that's going to be, I think, more due to mother nature than anything else. Uh, so I've
0: obviously done no golf. I have tried to enter my summer knockouts. Uh, but failed to do that because, A, I couldn't work the app. And then when I could work the app, it turns out I don't actually have enough money in my account to pay the entrance fee. So it's just barrier after barrier.
1: And now it's freaking snowing, isn't it? Can you not just upload money into your app or are you basically telling me here you have no money? No, <laughs> no, 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 it's not. It's not quite that bad. It's just <laughs> more
0: the. it was just more the hassle of it all. I thought I'd like overcome the hassle by working out how to do it. And then I couldn't work. And then I did run out of minutes in order to do the cash bit. But I will. I'm going to enter all the knockouts this year handicap knockout, better ball knockout, scratch knockout. There's no, there's no summer foursomes would all. It that does my in every year.
1: No, there's none at close house either. Um, I'm going to enter the summer knockout, the pairs, but I'm not going to enter the individual, um, because, because the golf club is 94 miles away from my house so i'm not sure I, i'm not sure i can get up on a wednesday evening for a mm. individual game which is when it tends to happen um i'm looking forward. there's some proper events there there's like their events are mainly corporate sponsored there's about 14 or 15 of them and they treat them as like massive days you know like huge events i'm really looking forward to getting into that and seeing how that's like cuz obviously I'm, my life's golf has been you know club tournaments and obviously the medals and the stablefords and stuff like that um and they they make that so for example i played in i played in a major the last remaining major of last year and you you pay your entry fee and like you get to the tee and the starter gives you like drinks and fruit and stuff like that you know, like you, um, if it's a car company, for example, that's, that's doing the day, you drive into the car park and all their cars and it feels like an elevated event. I'm sure we'll talk about elevated events and signature events at some point, but I'm looking forward to that. Um, and when the football's over, obviously, we don't have any season ticket commitments, you and I, I'm going to turn my attention very strongly towards summer golf and see what happens.
0: I don't think you've done much for your everyman reputation there with talk of sort of, corporate days and car companies sponsoring things it's not the it's not what we've come to expect
1: uh, i like a bit of, i like a bit of pizzazz like a bit of glamour else, every I? now and again yeah, a bit well, of I'm going
0: for you because i have i'm in the process of booking a golf trip and you'll you'll very much enjoy the destination we're going to go and play hartleypool bamburgh and dunstanbrough
1: so, you play Hartlepool as a sort of stop off on the way up?
0: Yeah, if that's not your wheelhouse, I don't know what
1: is. Have you played Hartlepool before?
0: I think they might have played it in a um, Yorkshire uh, scratch
1: thing, yeah. Hartlepool is like one of my favourite golf courses. Is it? It's just, yeah, because once you get to about the fifth, it's got a slow start. Um, I think even the club wouldn't mind me saying that. You know, there, there are a couple of holes away from the coast. And I do think there's. Some talk that they've been trying to sort them out, but when you get onto the coastline and you and you basically just you hit, there's like the six, which is a blind shot through the dunes, a short par four, hit a blind shot over the over the ridge, and then it's a massive raised green, and then there's a tiny par three afterwards. It's like ninety yards. Um, that's massively elevated. Got two of the best par threes I've ever played in 11 and 12. 14, a hole that just sweeps round the coast. If you like seaside views and you like June's golf, like Hart- Hartlepool absolutely speaks to me. I think I
0: ha- haven't played it actually. I've played Teeside. It's not the same thing at all, is it? No,
1: no. I mean, it, I, I'm sure I've said this before Hartlepool, Cleveland, Seaton Carew. If it was on the northwest of England, no one would ever shut up about them.
0: Beautifully described as well. well. I'm very much looking forward to that now. We're going a week after the Masters, so it's the kind of ceremonial kickoff of the golf season. You have to do this sort of stuff when it's fucking snowing outside, don't you? Because there's just very little else for
1: it. You have to dream, don't you? You have to dream. Yeah.
0: So anyway, today we're gonna to go deep on Steve. We're gonna to have to do some obligatory live and PJ chat because we sort what was of feel that? like having you can, you can go deep on Steve. Are you not comfortable with that?
1: Well, I mean, it's a, I'll take it as a term of endearment. Deep on Steve, not deep in Steve. <laughs> but let's, let's be straight about it. We used to have a clean rating on Apple. Anyway, you've just interrupted my intro here. <laughs> go back. So we're going we're gonna,
0: to we're gonna have to do some uh, live and PGA chat, basically, because we feel like we have to. But just think of it as an appetizer, an elevator chat before we get to the main event. Steve's got an excellent reader's wines about rules. We're going to have a big debate about the cost of running a golf club, which is uh, a kind of another appetizer for a series we're going to get into as the year progresses. Uh, and it's a crucial week in Rules Corner, as I lead 3-1, with only two questions remaining. So I only need a half, don't I, basically, to get it over the line this week.
1: You do, yes. You could take the honours. Um, I
0: suspect I, you've probably got something brutal.
1: No, well... I mean, it's a bit different. I wouldn't say. I'm, it's
0: expecting, I'm expecting a sort of 400-yard par four into the wind up the hill.
1: Well, I mean, if you um, if you beat me five-one in this series, you can expect 700-yard par sixes next year.
0: Well, exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're going to have to talk about live stuff. With we're in a live sandwich, aren't we? We're sort of trapped mm-hmm. between Maricopa and uh, Las Vegas, somewhere in the kind of southwest corner of the United
1: States. Did you watch it? Bits is the answer, bits. Um, I didn't have it on all the time. I sort of tuned in. I didn't really watch a lot of it on Sunday, actually, um, when the PGA Tour was off. I did watch the end, obviously, when it got a bit exciting in the playoff. Um, I will watch more of Las Vegas because it's a place I've always wanted to go, Las Vegas, and it's a permanent source of frustration that I've never been as someone who likes to, you know, Bet on the horses and play a bit of cards. Um, Vegas, Vegas is yeah, Vegas is absolutely my place, and I've never been there, so I probably will watch a bit more of that because you'll see the Sphere and the Strip and all those kind of things. Um, but I didn't really watch much of Pebble, which was a real surprise to me because that's that's a tournament I've always tended to watch because obviously the Monterey Peninsula is a fantastic scenic place, looks great on TV. But I didn't really watch any of it. Maybe it's because the weather was so bad but I, I did watch it yeah I did watch bits of it and I, as I say I think I'll watch more of it this weekend I know that'll annoy Listen, some people
0: it's I mean I think it's a phenomenally interesting fortnight if you're into the sort of Live versus PGA Tour narrative like last week if you are uh, the chief executive of Liv whose name I can't remember but let's just say you are for the minute boss Liv man and the PGA Tours event is cancelled on Sunday night that coincides with your opening event of the season you couldn't have wished for much more than that could you Uh, And then this week, the two events are taking place, like the Waste Management and uh, the Live Las Vegas event, are four or 500 miles apart, nothing in American terms. It's the same weekend as the Super Bowl. It is a pretty noisy start to the season for them, hot on the heels of the Hatton signing, obviously the Rams signing. Um, like it's it sort of feels like, in a, in a golfing sense, certainly, that they've got off to a pretty hot start.
1: Yeah, this feels an extremely important week for Liv to keep that momentum going. Um, you know, people are bang on about, you can't see it, you can see it. Just because you're 85 and don't want to look at YouTube, you can see it. You know, I mean, I can watch it on a big screen TV in my front room. If you want to watch Live, you can watch it. I understand why people don't want to. That's fine. Everyone has their opinion. But this is a huge week for Liv because obviously they had Sunday to themselves. They had a very, very exciting finish um, with, you know, with, um, with Neiman against Garcia in the darkness. Um, There's not something romantic, I think, about playoff finishing in darkness that just gets people going. And then, you know, you talk about the Super Bowl. Well, the Super Bowl is in Las Vegas. (laughs) So anyone who's anyone is going to be in Vegas. This is a big week for Liv. Um, you know they they get a lot of eyes on their product basically being where the Super Bowl is I can't but I'd be very surprised if I haven't arranged it that way I
0: don't know it's very it's very hard to know isn't it because I mean at the end of the day they are a a startup I sort of say that with a kind of whilst being sick in my mouth because they're a startup with unlimited funding but there is a sort of there is a quite a kind of twee sort of haphazard nature to some aspects of it which people have ridiculed but it's also kind of quite fun to watch and you do wonder whether uh the vegas tie in with the Super Bowl is by design or by accident. I think it's very cute that they've um moved the uh, finishing round a day earlier um so it doesn't clash and it's obviously gonna benefit from a ton of fans being in in Vegas for the Super Bowl and a ton of celebrity so I think that is yeah that is genius. I didn't watch any of it over the weekend um but I have watched quite a bit of it kind of post hoc or posthumously or whatever however you want to describe it um which I think is like absolutely too. Uh, Liv's credit or the credit of the production because it is all available on YouTube. And it is, once you get into the YouTube channel, like it is a proper content play that they are creating there. There's like instruction channels, uh, instruction playlists rather, which are trailed during the live broadcast where they've kind of picked out specialists in different instruction disciplines. They've got Cam Smith doing putting, they've got Leishman hitting wind shots. uh, They've got Bubba Watson doing shot shaping. This is kind of, The sort of instruction journalist dream, right, is they've got specialists in every field creating YouTube content and helping people get better. Brilliant. Um, You can watch uh, the entire uh, broadcast of each of the three rounds in its entirety if you want. You can watch little highlights packages. Um, So the kind of content around it and the access to the content, I think is pretty amazing. And the fact that that is all free, obviously they have got unlimited cash. Uh, is a sensational thing for the golf fan. I don't know if you've been onto that YouTube channel.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've watched. I am. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm uh, different to my generation. Obviously, I'm middle aged, um, but I watch a I don't watch any television. I stream everything. You know, I might now. That might mean watching terrestrial television like now tv obviously i watch sky sports but i stream it um so streaming is not unusual to me so you know clicking on youtube to watch golf is just something i would do because i'm clicking on youtube or i'm clicking on twitch or i'm clicking on kick to watch other channels so it's not a kind of alien experience it is for me that it might be for other people who are used to watching golf on tv in their front room you know i'm as i'm as likely to watch golf on my laptop as I am sat by you know a big screen so I don't know if that makes me unusual of the audience that generally follows golf but it is easy, it is easy to watch that is rapidly changing steve i mean if you look at um any
0: kind of blogs about trends on youtube like the the big the the two big trends are shorts and the second big trend is where people are watching it and on tv it's like it's just like a exponential growth in terms of how many people watching youtube via their smart tv so that will just continue to change so i think that aspect of it is all brilliant like and the broadcast itself i think is really really good like people moan about commentators but Everyone moans about commentators, regardless of the of the tour or the channel, don't they? But there's an awful lot of time to fill during a golf broadcast, so people are going to say stupid, mundane things. That's just the nature of it, isn't it?
1: And you can turn it down, um, or you can turn it off, which I've often done with other golf commentary on terrestrial channels. Look, people can't separate live from the other aspects of it, and I'm not going to try and do that. I'm going to try and tell you what I think about it as uh, as a TV product. And I think it's great because you can watch golf. You watch a lot of golf on it. Like they're clearly, if live took off and they got um, adopted by a load of TV channels, then this might change as advertising naturally plays a part. But at the moment you can what it's probably the only place where you've got the Rolex hour sponsoring. You've got that on Sky, haven't you? Where that's there's an hour of unlimited golf during the really big tournaments. But otherwise I find golf. It's worse in the United States than it is here, but I find golf to be just peppered. You watch a couple of minutes, you see a couple of shots, then it clicks to an advert, and it often clicks to an advert during a really crucial time in the golf. Then it comes back, and you're wondering what's happened. You're seeing it on replay. You get none of that here. You see it all as it happens. You see it live. Some of the things that they've done with shots, some of the things that they've done. I like the leaderboard. It was a bit confusing to start with, but now I've got used to it. I quite like that Formula One style leaderboard. I think it looks quite good. I like some of the sort of fast things that they do. Um, right, let's move to this shot because this has happened. Bang, quick, right now we're back to the action. Um, We'll probably talk about the shotgun start a bit later but what i want to say about it in, in terms of tv coverage is i quite like the fact it's four hours or four and a bit hours yeah
0: yeah i, I, I quite think, like so, that to me to me the um the, the shotgun star is more about the golf narrative i think just to sort of complete the conversation about the broadcast like i just i just don't think you can get away from the fact it's really well done like it's just it, the whole idea these days of of content curation is to keep people captivated and keep people engaged and the kind of faster it's coming at you the harder it is to turn off and that's before you get into things like uh, players and caddies being mic'd up which is just a kind of like whole new nuance to the stuff and the fact that that is relatively ubiquitous in terms of their broadcast I think is quality so I think it, as a watchable product it's great I think is all of the content they've created around it it's great I then think when you get into the golf thing, it's the conversation is slightly different. And I think there's quite there's quite a lot to talk about that in terms of how it differs from the PJ tour or the DP World tour in terms of like what's on what's on offer. So I think if you are gonna if you are gonna credit the content that's being created around the event on YouTube, you also have to say that the mindset is slightly different. I think that Live is trying to create an entertainment product, not necessarily a competitive golf tour and i'm not saying that is good or bad i'm just saying it's a, it's an entirely different thing and if you kind of look at that youtube channel and if you look at viewing figures on big youtube channels rick shields or whoever else like people want to be entertained nowadays and they want the content to be presented to them in a digestible way and i think that is very much the mindset live that, that what you're watching is an entertainment product i'm not necessarily i'm not sure it's necessarily competitive professional golf I'm not sure that I'm not sure they're one and the same
1: thing. I think there's enough quality play. I mean, we talked about the a couple of months ago I'm gonna I'm gonna U turn here like Rory McElroy. Um a couple of months ago I um got very stuck into the depth of some live teams. I think with the addition of Rahm, the addition of Hatton. Um that's ch- that's changed quite a bit. Um and I think there's enough quality guys on there now for it to be for it to be competitive golf, you know cam Smith, Brooks, Kepka, D J. Bryson, Hatton and so on, Ram, you know those guys play proper golf and they play competitive golf. Um, where I think it struggles is in its drive to be uniquely an entertainment product it it sometimes masks some of that the music is stupid. Yeah, yeah, and you are at the end of the day
0: watching Stroke play golf, aren't you, as well? Yeah. That is worth saying.
1: Yeah, and they could have been more inventive than that, in that, and I don't think the team thing has worked. I think it could, because I personally have got a little bit into the Majestics team, obviously, because of the ties with Westwood and so on. But I have got a little bit into that, and I've watched the behind-the-scenes. And, behind my, the and scenes. my friend Sam, obviously, Steve. Don't and Sam, and and Sam, Sam and, and obviously, and Sam Horsfield. And I've got into a little bit of that, and I can see what they're, what they're trying to do with it, and I see what they're trying to build with it, but it's still confusing. The concept is still confusing. I don't think it quite works, and it is it is anathema to me. As a golf watcher for the commentating and for the, for the program to be pushing the team aspect as much as they are over the individual aspect. And, and Ram, I thought betrayed himself a little bit because he, he, you know, he was disappointed he didn't win. You could see he was disappointed he didn't win. And then he had to sort of stand up and say, but yeah, my team won. And isn't this fantastic? And I thought, I'm not buying this son. You're absolutely yeah, I, crushed because you haven't won this.
0: I think it'd be cooler if they just doubled down on the team thing and just, just basically sacked off the individual thing. What I think what I'm driving at in terms of the entertainment product versus kind of like a serious professional golf event. And I I think there are players on Live who are desperate to win majors, who are desperate to kind of get their sh- game in shape for the um, at the right time, who are like working their pills off to be the best they can be. And I think there are also players who aren't doing that. Um, so people like Neiman, I think the first thing he said was, I want to win majors, I want to play in majors. John Rahm, I watched his interview with golf.com and it's very obvious that he is sort of taking a punt based on the fact he's still going to be able to get into majors for the next four or five years and, and, and hopes there's going to be a resolution to that, still wants to be playing competitive golf. Um And I think that's set against some other people on Liv. Um, so we, when we spoke to Westwood um, ourselves, didn't we, um, a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying that at that point he'd played four holes of golf between between the two live events. So this is not someone who is grinding away over the winter trying to be as good as he can be. This is someone who is kind of very much uh, enjoying his lifestyle. Um, I read the Cam Smith stuff and I think whilst he was kind of saying, yeah, I definitely want to be competitive in majors, I still think I can win majors. He's also very much beating up the lifestyle aspects of the choice that he's made in that he's spending – Six, seven weeks in an off-season in Australia, hanging out with his mates and he's enjoying enjoying his lifestyle. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, But I don't think that's what someone who is grinding out a living on the PGA Tour has done over the winter.
1: What, What stopped him doing that on the PGA Tour? You know, that that's the issue I have with this kind of, oh, the great lifestyle, I don't have to play 25 weeks. I mean, I understand the signature events, there's contractual agreements. And if my memory serves, you had to play a certain number of events and you had to go to certain places, didn't you, previously. But what stopped him having six weeks off in the winter previously? Yeah. Uh, I think,
0: well, there's a couple of live events in Australia for a start. There's a big yeah. gap. There's a very, a very obvious
1: off-season. Um, yeah, and, and you shouldn't, sorry, Tom, you shouldn't, we shouldn't um, sort of. Um, I can't think of the word I am looking for. We shouldn't underestimate the importance of the live event in Australia to Cam Smith, because the live event in Australia. I mean, did you see, did you see the pictures last year? It was huge. Yeah, massive it was enormous thing, yeah. because one, they don't get enough quality golf because the the top players. You know, apart from the likes of Jordan Spieth, who used to go there quite a lot, they just don't go there. I think DJ said last time it was the first time he'd ever been to Australia, to play golf in Australia. So, so they've. I, I, we shouldn't, we shouldn't underestimate the the importance of that Australian event to Cam Smith because it has brought, and for the Australian audience, because it's brought some very, very high profile players that they weren't used to seeing. Um, Be interesting to see if they have more events there in the future and that steve is growing the game just before we finish on
0: this i think there's a couple of things that i think are linked which i mean you mentioned the shotgun start earlier one of the things about when you watch a sort of standard a golf event or if you think if you think of kind of classic pga tour events major venues like the fact that the, the holes are played in the same order there is a kind of narrative to the round that develops right um, and that's different um, from venue to venue. I can't, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but let's, let's say there is an open at Carnoustie. Like the finish there is just impossibly difficult, right? And you know that a player who is three or four under par starting to play the sixteenth is going to they're going to do well to play the last the last three holes in level par. And therefore, there is a kind of there is that kind of narrative to the, to watching the broadcast. as you kind of know what's coming for the leading the leading group, and that's true of the kind of classic and pga tour venues as well if you think about places like bay hill for example which has got kind of very hugely risk reward finish um, and i think that sort of speaks the shotgun start of them and i think brings along a kind of samey feel to the live events and if you th- if you then sort of take that a step further and start to think about just the staging of them but like they are all, co- all called live something at the moment none of them have got individual sponsors and um, all the trophies are the same all the staging at the events is the same all the outfits that the players wear are the same because they're all in teams so there's kind of this this feeling of a thing that is an entity that is very very similar like a pre-packaged product it's trying to kind of like develop its own narrative by almost kind of like scripting that narrative both in terms of what it looks like the order in which things happen and i think that kind of All of the effort that goes into trying to create that narrative sort of detracts from the narrative almost, because there's nothing spontaneous happening. There's nothing kind of natural to that developing. I think that, I don't know, I think that's, maybe that's my age showing, but it just sort of feels, again, it kind of speaks to that, let's create an entertainment product. Let's Mm -hmm. not create a
1: competitive event. I, w- I wouldn't disagree with you. I think it needs a players' championship, you know, like a standout event that everyone can get into. And they're, they're yeah. trying, they're trying this with a team championship, but it just, it, I just doesn't, it just doesn't work properly because there are teams that can't compete in it. And then this year, I think, is it right that they're going to be like because they've got an odd number of teams? There's going to be a team that isn't competing at all, but still has to go down there. What are they doing? Are they just? Are they playing some golf? Are they watching? Um, yeah, the team—they need a standout event. I agree with you. I mean, it is it is pretty samey. and and the other the other issue they've got is that they're not on, um, they're not on top tier horses. To be fair, um, all the time there are some top tier courses. I mean, like yeah, um, Valderrama, yeah, yeah, and Valderrama is obviously the standout. If um, they could Valderrama, get on the, um, yeah, if they could get on the sand belt. <laughs> um, I mean, Maya Cobra obviously was a regular PGA Tour venue, um. And there are other regular PGA Tour venues on there as well. But they but there's no – like, we've talked in the previous podcast about what excites you about an event. Is it the players or is it the course? Well, I'm – you know, you, you, I think a lot of the PGA Tour events are samey, frankly. Um oh, yeah. but, but what will I be watching soon? I'll be watching Riviera because I really, really like that golf course and I'll be watching that for the course. And um, if Liv could get themselves – and clearly, what clearly there's there's um, the controversy with Live with their owners, and that's a detractor, surely, for some of the people that they might necessarily partner with. But if Live could get some more standout courses where the course becomes the thing as much as the event, then I mean, can you imagine? Like, can you imagine? Say they go um, to a course. With a ridiculous par three, for example. So uh, let me take Sawgrass as an example. God, look at this heresy, PGA Tour. But can you imagine the shotgun starter who has to start on 17? That's a good point. Like, it it, a it good becomes point. a na- it becomes a narrative of its own, doesn't it? And that's what I think they're lacking. You know, they're, obviously they're at Las Vegas Country Club. People will watch it because there's the sphere that kind of watches you as you play. But it's not a great golf course, is it?
0: I don't know. Dunno, but I I think the, the the broader point about the quality of the golf course is is a good one. The dear old PJ Tour were at a classic golf course at the same time this last weekend. Uh the strongest ever field I think that played in the AT and T. Like it was ridiculous who turned up, wasn't it? They all were yeah. there, weren't they,
1: basically? Which is a statement on its own. Um, and then they didn't play much because the weather was absolutely unbelievably bad. Which is, I guess, not unsurprising
0: for the west coast of America in the spring. Um, It's like pretty amazing that they keep trying to, they keep persisting with this California uh, swing because I think that the weather is so unpredictable in that particular corner. You've been to Pebble, haven't you?
1: I have, yeah. I've not played it. I know you have. Um, I went to watch the US Open there in 2019. What was Um, it
0: like for a US Open set up? Was it dry? Was it bouncy?
1: It was a bit of everything, actually, if I remember. Um, but it wasn't. It wasn't firm. I remember it being green.
0: Yeah.
1: Um I mean, it's five years ago. Obviously, lots of stuff's happened. Gary Woodland won. Um, held off Brooks Koepka at the end. But it was green. It was a bit. But I don't remember like. I mean, obviously look. look if viewers could see me, the best way to describe myself is Celtic. Um, I I wasn't putting. I don't. I don't remember like having to put that much sun cream on that week.
0: <laughs> oh, I see. You mean Celtic, like as in like. You're a bit ginger and pasty skinned. Yeah, never ever considered you as
1: Celtic. Pe- pebble is a pebble is a place where, having been on the ground there now, it's a real paradox, isn't it? Um, Because when it's great, it's what well, it's the most unbelievable place on earth to sort of look at golf. But there's a lot of ordinary stuff there as well. There's a lot. So I, mean, that... I so I, I,
0: I played it on my honeymoon. Um So we. I got married in 2010. We I was there in 2011, so quite a long time ago. don't think the golf course has changed since. My wife organized the whole thing, and I had one day, which was kind of like my golf day in Carmel. Technically, to play Pebble Beach, you have to stay for two nights in their very expensive lodge. But I rang them up and said, please, 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 can we just stay for one night and still get a tea time. And they said, yeah, that's fine. So I played on my own at seven o'clock or just before seven, before the four ball started on one of the great days of my life, truth be told, because in the afternoon when I played at Cypress point around the corner um, as a guest of a member and the pebble beach experience, I think it was one of the most underwhelming experiences of my life. And um, so it costs a fortune for a start. You have to pay something like eight or $900 to stay in the cheapest room that they have in the lodge and the rooms are tiny, right? So, all American hotel rooms, in my experience, are too small. And this one was particularly tiny. And you, it's one of these places where you can't really move without spending more money. Like, there's just things everywhere that's cost cash. Uh, and then you go and play the golf course, which at the time cost $500. I don't know what it costs now. I can remember very clearly going into the pro shop and handing over my four hundred ninety-five dollars and trying to pick up a yardage book. And then the guy said, "Yeah, that'll be another fifteen dollars, please." Which I just found incredible. I wasn't getting given a yardage book to go with my five hundred-dollar fare. Um, and the, goal, the I, I, every year this event comes round, I just find this sort of the gushing kind of American outpouring of love there is for Pebble Beach just remarkable. I don't know if I've just had a bad experience, but people like you, that you really respect, and I mean people like Alan Shipnuck has said that it's one of his favourite places to play golf. I think he lives very near there. Um, Jack Nicklaus has said that if he had one place to play before he died, he'd play at Pebble Beach, and I can sort of see that for the views. But I mean, really, the golf course is just so strange. Like it, it kind of starts off with two of the most banal parkland holes you've ever played. Yes, you then go and play like six or seven holes on the cliff top, which to some people have made them absolute worldies, but they are so one dimensional, by which I mean it, the, the instruction off the tee is don't hit it in the sea. Uh, the greens are absolutely tiny. So, like the, the kind of any sort of nuanced short game is just completely out of the window because you're either on the green or in some absolutely unplayable gunge off just off the green. Um, and then once you get through kind of 10, 11, and then 12 to part three, everything back to the 17th. It's just like, honestly, you might as, you could be at the Belfry. No offence to the Belfry. And then obviously 17 and 18. On the day we played 17, it was a front pin uh, for forward tee. And it just, it, just, it just lacked any kind of drama. So I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. And I think when they go there in the spring for this particular event, it's a bit like the Dunhill um, when it goes to St. Andrews in the autumn, is that the golf course has got almost no teeth because it's kind of soft. I think this week it was like pick and place. But, yeah, I just don't get Pebble at all.
1: What a day at Cyprus, though.
0: I feel like I've got it off
1: my chest now. Yeah, I, th- I think that you have. I think that you have. Do you think everyone in America now hates me? <laughs> we'll be scouring the stats to see if we have any American listeners left. That's a good point, actually.
0: Right, so that was my wine. I think we should move on to readers' wines, don't you? Why not? Why not? Why <laughs> not? So Reader's Wines, as everyone I'm sure knows, who's a regular listener, if you're not a regular listener, why not? Please do give us a subscribe. It massively helps our listens on all platforms. Reader's Wines is a regular on this podcast, and it's where we have a look at what has been triggering people on social media. So it tends to include um, a lot of the comments that you wouldn't say to people's faces necessary, but you would uh, happily post on social media. And this week, I think it's actually sort of Steve's reader's wine, really. He's been very triggered by people on Facebook in particular who've been getting cross about the rules of golf. And he's picked out a particular chap who had this to say, the rules of golf are just way too complicated. I see rules getting broken every week in amateur golf. Am I going to stand with a stopwatch and tie my playing partner with a stopwatch? Not a chance. And I think Steve has kind of seen some irony in this, is that this person sort of, is kind of almost allowing rule breaking because he thinks it would be too fastidious of him to enforce the rules
1: yeah, yeah, I think that's probably a fair summation um this was on a this was on a piece I wrote about um, using the rules of golf to your advantage um, because people get triggered when they perceive people to be sort of getting something that they don't feel they're supposed to be getting um, and my view on it is if the rules allow you to do it, get on with it rules allow you to do it so if you're in the rough and you can take some free relief and that free relief puts you onto the fairway all credit to you the rules allow it um there's no cheating that's what the rules are there for if they can help you they're going to hurt you from time to time if they can help you fine get on with it i was particularly triggered by 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 this guy because of the of the paradox that you... that's my favorite word of the week obviously the paradox of the paradox that you talked about which was the rules of golf are, well it, it was more that i see rules getting broken every week and then i'm going to stand with a stopwatch and time my playing partner um that triggered me because a rule ruling that i often get asked to do in club golf is this this person this player spent too long looking for their ball it comes up so many times um, you know, I get called in and it's like, well, um, he, he took more than, or she took more than three minutes to play to play the shot. And I say, how do you know? Did you time it? And they go, no. And I say, well, there we go then and walk out. Um, and, and the reason is, it's because you can't get into sort of they said debates on the rules. You know, if, if you're not there, if I don't witness the, in, the incident and I'm asked to rule on something and you're telling me a player's taken too long to take a golf shot, I'm going to say to you, prove it how do you know that's the case did you time them and if you did not then there's nothing to say there's nothing to say um and that's why i thought the stopwatch thing was 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 um was particularly triggering me because i tell players as soon as you start looking for a ball put your phone on put the clock get the clock running because it just avoids all of this drama and then when people say well how long have i got left right well you've got 30 seconds left or i've run out of time and then you know when you've run out of time. So the stopwatch thing was, was particularly, I found it particularly annoying because on the one hand, you can't complain about rule breaking. And then on the other hand, say, I'm not going to do something that will help stop rule breaking. It's, it's a bit simple.
0: So that was very eloquently described. And I can see it sort of means a lot to you that people are on the one hand acknowledging that rules are broken. But on the other hand, they're not willing to do anything to try and enforce the rules that's what's getting you goat here isn't it
1: yeah and, and I, I find that happens quite a lot so people you know a talk of the clubhouse will be about players who cheat oh, well this guy cheats or oh, this person cheats this this lady cheats well what did you what did you do about it then oh well i, di- I didn't do anything i didn't want to get into a rock. i didn't want to get into a conflict right so you played with someone that you suspected of cheating and you did nothing about it. Well, how did that make you any better than? Cheating?
0: So why why did, this is? I can sort of feel a peace coming out of this actually. So why do you think that is? Why do you think people are so unwilling to call out cheating?
1: Well, we're, as a species, I think we're massively conflict averse these days. And like, yeah. and you've got to remember that it's leisure time. Who wants to get into an argument in the leisure time on something that's supposed to be fun? You know, like we don't we don't pay the money to go and basically have a rock. And I think that is a massive part of it. But on the other hand, you can't then, you can't then, like, be the person in the clubhouse who's saying, bloody cheats. Yeah. You should root them out of the game. Well, yes, yes, you should. Do it then.
0: Yeah. I've definitely played with people before that on the particular point that you're describing, I've definitely played with people who do say, right, I'm now going to start a timer on my phone or on my watch or whatever for this ball search, for their own ball search as well, not just for their playing partners. Ball search, but equally, I had uh, Ross Bousfield, who works for us today. He was been a golf a golf club member for twenty five years, played since he was a kid. He was legitimately saying is it okay to trample down the grass behind your ball when it's in the rough
1: well i mean there's a difference between and you know i wouldn't want to express this about ross there's a difference between ignorance of the rules i don't know what the rule is um and deliberately breaking the rule he did so, he rules, did so,
0: he did say oh, i'll stop doing that now then
1: <laughs> the rules will treat the breach in the same way but there's but there's a difference of knowledge i mean i don't think that you know it's not like a, it's not a strict liability offence in the in, in the rules you know it's not like well you you broke the rule and you should have known i mean it, it does say in the rules of golf actually that players are responsible for knowing the rules and applying them um but i don't think you know if you did something a bit stupid and you said to your playing partner i didn't realize that was something and you copped to the penalty i don't think anyone's like you know sort of bringing you into the bringing you into the committee room and sort of trying to hound you out of the club i think there is a difference between being mistaken and being mischievous,
0: yeah. And I, but I think that I think that probably is to your friend on the internet who was saying he's not going to start timing his, um, his his playing partners looking for a golf ball. I think if his playing partners were routinely dropping a ball down their trouser leg, he might call them I'm out on it. And he's obviously in his own head. He's drawing a distinction between kind of pushing the limits of the rules and some flagrant rule breaking.
1: Yeah, and this is where I get into trouble because as a strict rules person, there isn't there isn't any... Yeah, there's no
0: grey areas, are there, Steve?
1: There's, there's no grey area. It's either for the rules or it's against the rules. That's it.
0: I like it. I think in, because this is a deep dive into Steve's psyche podcast, I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that Reader's Wines is effectively your wine this week.
1: <laughs> it's absolutely my wine. It's good. <laughs>
0: so continuing the theme of this being a Steve-based podcast... Uh, we've got a very good um, main topic to get into, which kind of extends what we've been trying to do. That like obviously, this podcast is something that's aimed squarely at club golfers. Um, it's kind of, a, I guess, born out of our club golf podcast that we that we ran throughout last year. Um, and we talked a couple of weeks ago about the cost of golf club membership, um, and it was pegged on some data that shows us that about fifty percent of us are paying over a thousand pounds a year for our golf club subscription. And we wanted to kind of get into into that in a bit more detail. A a common cry at the time after we published with that was golfers crying foul, saying it was too much money. Um, And the inference was that golf clubs are making loads of money um, and they're kind of ripping us off as golfers. They're charging us too much. Um, How can it possibly cost so much to run a golf club? There was a counter view that was expressed online from some people um, saying that we shouldn't be conflating the two things. We shouldn't be conflating rising membership fees with uh, profiteering from golf clubs. So we thought that that was worth taking a look at in more detail. Steve is very much an expert on this topic. Um, He writes for the Golf Club Managers Association. He produces a a monthly newsletter for them called GCMA Insights. Um, There's a lot of crossover between that association, the type of content that we create for NCG. So I guess in many ways, this week's expert is Steve. This week's guest is Steve. Um, He's beginning a new series for the Golf Club Managers Association that will appear on NCG called The Price of Golf Club. The Price of Golf Club. What is it called?
1: The Price of Club Golf.
0: The Price of Club Golf. So what I've done there is I've read it back to front and made the sentence make no sense. So Steve has created a new series both for the Golf Club Managers Association and for NCG called The Price of Club Golf. And we want to start by looking at the kickoff piece for that today in a little bit of detail. Uh, And we will follow this up in in future series of the NCG Golf Podcast. But today's focus is going to be around income. So where golf clubs are making their money, the different routes to cash they've got, how they can bring money into their clubs. Steve's written about this on NCG. He's written about this for the Golf Club Managers Association. uh, And I'm keen to discuss it with him. So where, where, where are golf clubs making money, Steve? Where is the money coming from?
1: So let me give you some context first. Um, so my idea for this <coughs> came came from football, would you believe? I don't just like copying surveys. This was a great golf shake survey that they did on how much we were being asked to do membership, and it was a great start. Um, and it reminded me of something I'd seen in a football fanzine at Middlesbrough a few months ago, <coughs> where they were talking about the amount per seat, so the walk-up price um, if you're not a season ticket holder at football is obviously a very controversial topic that you know are we pricing people out of the game etc etc and one of the things this fanzine did was it tried to break it down and it said if a walk-up price at a football club is say 32 pounds for the cheapest ticket that rises to say 40 odd pounds i mean obviously i'm talking about championship here in the premier league it can be a lot more Um, but what is what does the football club actually get from that in revenue um, because clearly you've got things like uh junior fees you've got OAP fees um and i th- and and this football club that i support at middlesbrough i think the figure was about 12 pounds 50 which didn't feel to me like a lot and so when we did that piece on the golf shit survey i was thinking is it similar in golf because if you think about the vast number of membership categories some golf clubs can have you know i mean there's some golf clubs that don't charge a full fee until a member is 40 um, you know, there's intermediate fees that go all the way up. There are some golf clubs that that also um, give their some give their senior members a discount if they've been there for X number of years. Um, it's like a loyalty discount, I think, isn't it? Um, so I was really interested to find out if you pay 1,200 pounds or 1,500 pounds or 2,000 pounds, whatever your membership cost is, 600 pounds how much of that contributes to the running of the golf club how much of it goes towards paying the actual bills so I asked a number of golf club managers and um, some industry experts as well what that figure was and it's a bit surprising because of the golf clubs that I asked it's about half between sort of half and 60 percent of their overall revenue the revenue that they need to run the golf club, only about 50 to 60% of it comes from member subscriptions. I think that might surprise a few members because when you think about the price going up, as you alluded to earlier on, you know, this idea of, well, we pay for this golf club. This is our golf club. You know We don't want these visitors here because this is our golf club. This is why we pay our subscription fees. Um, and yet, from the evidence that I've seen, Um, it actually although it will be the majority figure um, it's actually quite lower than a lot of people might expect it to be
0: so if you're so this is this is data that's considering kind of like different types of golf clubs and a number of different clubs and what you're saying is that the the membership fee income covers approximately 50 percent of the money required to run the golf club
1: yeah so in the piece that i've written on ncg if you look at it i've spoken to the gm at redditch in warwickshire So I would say sort of decent private members club. Um, I spoke to the GM at Denham in Buckinghamshire, sort of higher end private members club. And I spoke to the membership manager at Fox Hills, very lavish, exclusive, Mm -hmm. although it's got a lot of members, but proprietary club, right? And they all answer the same thing. So at Redditch. 50 to 60% of income is from subscriptions at, at at Denham we budget on raising 2.3 million and golf club subscriptions contribute 1.3 million. So just over half, you know, it's um, at Fox Hills, you know, we have an annual membership revenue of close to 11 million golf represents slightly more than 50%. I mean, it's, you know, wherever you go in the chain, it's a remarkably consistent figure, isn't it? That the, the, the amount of revenue or the, the, the percentage of revenue that comes from members subscriptions is about half just over half which is a bit surprising you'd think it was a bit more
0: it's very surprising i mean particularly at private members clubs where um i think people feel uh, like it's their club Mm -hmm. and therefore income from other sources be it kind of green fee payers or uh, events in the clubhouse would kind of be something that people would complain about but they're their fees that they are collectively contributing is only covering half of the cost
1: and that's deliberate as well right private members clubs do that deliberately with their members they tell them they are owners they are owners right you know you are you are a stakeholder in this golf club you know i've been at i've been at a proprietary club um sorry a private members club at york for two or three years right but i've been in proprietary clubs all my golfing membership life before then. And it's a very, very different thing there. You know, you might be a member of the club, but it's very clear who runs the show. The owner runs the show um so you know you have no say obviously the owner might listen to you the owner will take your views on board but ultimately the owner does what the owner wants to do and you're a customer and you can decide what you want to do about that it's like joining a gym right you can decide you don't like what's going on at the gym you don't want to stay there anymore you leave whereas a private members club it's touted as a very different thing you know that's why we have egms that's why we have agms so you can come along and share your point of view and as a collective you can vote and determine the running of that golf club so i think members maybe um, maybe maybe when we get the comments for this i'll be proven to be wrong but i think members will be surprised actually how little in inverted commas um their membership subscriptions actually contribute to the overall running of the golf club it's it's a big fee right 50 to 60 percent i would have put it at 80 70 or 80 if you'd asked me beforehand
0: it's interesting i mean and When you are talking about the private member club space, a lot of these places are committee run. People are asked to volunteer for marketing committees or greens committees or general committee or whatever else, often seen as a big privilege. Um, So I guess that when the thorny topic of membership fees comes up, it's a very difficult thing to imagine that a particular committee would be voting for increasing levies and increasing membership fees is a bit like Turkey's voting for Christmas not necessarily for the benefit of the the long term feasibility of the club.
1: Yeah I mean if you want to annoy your golf club members put the fee up right it happens every single year happens every year and now obviously we've been insulated to that from that to a certain extent by covid and the golf boom that's arisen from that because there have been people waiting to take the place but over the last couple of years obviously golf club subscriptions have gone up quite a lot because of cost of living and the price of utilities and while we might not have seen a whole load of drop-off in membership we've certainly seen a whole lot of mourning about it right? I think that's mm-hmm. fair to say. People yeah. understand it, but this, but no one likes being told they have to pay more money.
0: And it's very unlikely scenario that you're going to be a committee member who is going to vote for increased fees so you can go back and tell your mates that your role on the committee has been to bump up the membership fee for the coming year. It's not going to make you popular is it
1: well it's a very awkward conversation in the bar isn't it, it i mean is, i would yeah. argue i would argue that it's it's not a great way to run a business probably if that's how you are if that's how you're taking your decisions what what does the club need versus what does the membership want mm. I'm, I'm not i'm not I'm not sure that's a very sound way if that's how it's being done i'm not sure that's a very sound way to run your affairs but you run a business tom you, you wouldn't run your business on that on, on that proviso would you what on what's popular
0: i don't know do, yeah, do you not think popular? i'm a, a populist leader probably am. we do wellbeing hours we've got a gym what else oh, do you for- want
1: i'd forgotten about well-being hours i know yeah
0: um should say it's currently five to six so <laughs> they sort of spent those today um so that's an interesting thing so 50 percent of the cash is coming from membership so where's the rest of the money coming from
1: yeah visitor green fees um is the vast majority of it actually, Um, which is an interesting concept when you think about um, the member visitor dynamic and that kind of traditional view is we don't want visitors on our golf course and, and the steps that we actually take as private members golf clubs to restrict visitors from sort of key times, for example, particularly at weekends. I know from booking golf trips, it's very, very difficult to get a Saturday tea time um fine right that's when the majority i understand that i'm not complaining about that that's when the majority of the members want to play they pay their subscription fees they put their money up front into the club they should be um, given the um they should be given the line share of the times but if 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 visitors green fees contribute such a significant proportion of the total budget which they obviously do um, it, it does beg some questions, doesn't it? It massively does. Well, this
0: this is this is the whole contradiction, isn't it, between a member's facility that is reliant on visitor income to keep their fees at a level that's acceptable to them. That is it's a it's a huge problem in that your choice as a as a committee or as a general manager of a golf club is that you either have to go and make a very unpopular request to members that your fees are going to go up or you're going to have to convince them that increasing visitor revenue is a necessary evil to keep fees where they are. Uh, Neither is a particularly palatable conversation.
1: And and this explains, I think, the or, or, or provides a part explanation for the significant increase that we've seen in green fees at not elite clubs because they're chasing the money, right? Um, but the ones who are underneath who think, well, they're chasing the money up top. So we'll put our fees up as well. And here's how we'll explain it to our membership. We can have, we can charge visitors more and we can have fewer visitors to get the same money, right? But what happens when the visitors say it's too much?
0: there's always somewhere else to play that is 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 charging a reasonable fee. Um, there's quite a lot of data isn't it that exists around the, the multiples between green fees and, and and membership fees i think the average is about 15 times but you're you're absolutely right to make the point that, that the very top end clubs have in, increased their fees because of the kind of influx of american golfers post covid and the kind of demand for tee times from that particular uh, cohort of people but that doesn't necessarily trickle down to uh, kind of more workaday clubs but it's, you can see how it's a very easy thing to do to be able to say well actually it's a bit of a difficult conversation for me to have the membership about putting the the membership fees up so what I'll do is I'll just put 20% on green fees and, that, and that'll cover my gap but it's quite a, di- a dangerous game to play isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because we're seeing, and I don't want to go over too much of last week's, but so not last week's pod, um, the pod obviously that we did on, on uh, golf club uh, green fees because we, we're retreading over old ground. But um, it, is, it is interesting that we're hearing now significant sort of grumbles from visitors. Um, and not necessarily just visitors who are going to Carnoustie or St. Andrews, you know, people who are talking about why am I paying, you know, I mean, should I, mean, should I say 195, £190 at Old Woodley, for example, or £195 at Ganton? Now um, it's a subjective opinion whether they're worth that green fee or not. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Some people definitely say, yeah, had the most fantastic day, it was well worth the money. Um, and they're, Tea times may be sold out months and years in advance. But as David Jones told us on that podcast, there is availability in England now at some pretty high-profile golf courses, yeah. which says that people have had enough.
0: Yeah, I think that's. I think that was accurate at the time and it's still accurate now. So you've got membership income, you've got green fee income. Anything else contributing to the coffers? What about things like adventure golf or
1: paddle? Well, Are we a golf it? Um, I mean so uh, we'll have him as a guest on the podcast, I think, at some point because he's got some extremely interesting things to say. Um and Kevin Fish, who um was a former golf club manager of the year, ran the Glen in North Berwick, among others. And he's now. now he did indeed. He's now a very respected uh Golf club consultant. Not only does he run um, that consultancy, but he's also ex- highly sought after in the golf club industry in terms of a speaker and talking to people about golf club finances. I think he said to me when I interviewed him, this will come out in in, in the series. I think he said it was ninety eight percent of revenue was basically golf club membership fees and visitor fees. So that I mean that in
0: itself is interesting. If you think about the amount of chat there's been over the last few years about trying to create like a great divergence of facility. And like I said, in a glib way earlier, but we have been told as an industry that we need to be offering um, our members more and more uh, things to do at the club and things like adventure golf has popped up as a topic. And like again, I said it for a joke, but paddle is a thing, feels like the sort of squash court of the the 2020s to me. Um, But the, the reality is that golf clubs are not making money from things, from other things that are happening at their clubs.
1: Not if those figures are correct. They're making money from golf.
0: Yeah so um, like I mean they,
1: they will be they ma- they will be making money from functions I suppose as well um and well that's a different topic
0: isn't it I was going to ask you about yeah. that next so what about the thorny topic of food and beverage
1: I mean, who knows? I mean, it's it, it feels to me to be, I'm sure we'll get into this as the series goes on and I start asking more questions about it. But um, my understanding of food and beverage is it's a catastrophe for a lot of golf clubs. It's a loss leader um, for two reasons, really. One, it's very hard to make money off food. Um, in the quantities that they're providing at the margins that they're being asked to provide it at, because every golf club member wants a discount, right? I get a 10% discount at every club I'm at of food. 10% discount. I mean, it's coming straight off the golf club margins, isn't it? Then you've got those golf clubs as well that, that aren't responsible for FB at all. They franchise it out. So they're making no money from that either. The franchisee might be, will obviously be paying them something, won't they, to have that franchise, but not making anything. I don't imagine that's I don't imagine that's a massive fee. So who knows? We'll find out about F and B. I'll certainly it's, be asking questions. It's certainly
0: not contributing to the club's coffers if your percentages are to be believed.
1: I so- mean, I think if you're making a lot of money out of F and B as a golf club, you're an outlier. Yeah. And, it, and it'll be it'll be because your golf club isn't just a golf club. It's a golf club with an extremely good restaurant attached to it and a hotel perhaps as well. And and, and that, and it's an overall business of which golf is part rather than it's a private members golf club that happens to put on food for the members and Sunday dinners.
0: Yeah. I think, but if your percentages be believed, there's clearly not money coming from that, and I think I think that would stack up with my experiences. So golf is the primary driver of income uh, to golf clubs. So I guess if you've got green fees and you've got membership fees, private clubs are still, on some occasions, trying charging joining fees, which you basically think is the devil. If 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 I'm correct,
1: so um, not for the first time, I'm in danger of Rory U-turning on joining <laughs> fees. So again, there was a there was I wanted to ask the question about joining fees because it came from the golf set shake survey that revealed that a quarter of players who've been members of a club for less than two years have paid a joining fee. And that was compared to 17% who'd been a member for between two and five years. So clearly, I mean it's easily explained. COVID, golf club boom, lots of people have wanted to go into clubs. Clubs have got waiting lists. Clubs can charge an entry fee, right? Now, I have traditionally hated joining fees. I've hated them. I just considered them a tax on membership. You are charging a new member for the right to be able to join your club. You're charging them a not insignificant fee because you're full and because you can. That's how I felt. I've referred to it a number of times in NCG pieces. You can look them up. They're still all there. I'm not going to be changing them. I've referred to it as a tax on membership. I hated it. I thought it was insidious. Right. um, And now, now, we get it, we get it, we get it. So now what do you think? Well, it's been explained to me in a different way. Um, And I now wonder whether joining fees are the devil or whether, or whether it's just a, a, a very bad failure of golf clubs to explain what they can be used for. So joining fees are explained to you, to you by other members as a loyalty payment. This is what you pay. It's so you don't sod off after a year. It's so you don't just go and deal, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right, we, ne- we need to make sure you, if we're going to let you in your club, we can't just leave after 12 months and then we've got nothing left, right? If you leave, we're going to. Take a 1,000 of your 3,000 that you've spread over three years, right? Okay, I understand that. It's not a compelling argument to pay, frankly. Um, and then, uh, obviously, I, I talked about Kevin Fish earlier, and Kevin's quoted in a piece that I wrote about joining fees, which is on the NCG website. And the golf club managers tried to explain it to me as, we can use this for capital payments, uh, for capital investments, sorry. So, for example, if we need new machinery, if we need to do a green you know, if we want to refurbish the carpets in the clubhouse, we can use our capital reserves and joining fees are an important part of that. And I thought if that had ever been explained to me when I was um, in that terms or in that fashion, when I was being asked to join, uh, pay a joining fee, I might have felt very, very different about it as a side to the, here's 1,800 quid, can you pay it up? or over three years it's the joining fee because we pay a joining fee if someone had said to me tom do you know what yes we're asking you for this money we're asking you for 600 quid or 1200 quid or 1800 quid or four thousand quid whatever it is but what we're going to do with that money is we're going to use it for the betterment of the club we're going to invest it and we're going to um we're going to pay for things that are going to make this club better then I think I'd, if it was described to me in those terms, I'd have a different reaction to it. It's still the same amount of money, Steve. It is, but, but the emphasis is different. It's not a tax. It's not pay it because we tell you to or pay it because you need to show us you're a loyal member and you're going to stay here for a while. It becomes much more of a contract between you and the golf club in terms of, right, you're an owner of this club, and you are putting money in to safeguard the future for this club and make it better. And well, I, that's a very different way of explaining it.
0: Well, I th- so it's interesting that you've sort of bought into that, um, that explanation. So I've always been in favour of joining fees, I think because of the loyalty element, um, if that makes me a kind of... Typical golf club member, that's fine by me. But I think I think it does tie you in. I think it does make you think twice about leaving. I think it stops this idea that because the place over the road has got an offer on that you and your mates all leave together because you've all paid a joining fee. So I think it does work. I think I find it analogous with um, a kind of deposit and a mortgage repayment on a house. And that's, I think, where your ownership Um, comparison comes in is that you're making a down payment on your investment in your long-term life at that club in just the same way that you do when you pay a deposit on your house and you pay mortgage payments on it at the end of the day it's something that you own that you've got some right to shape because you're invested in it and that and that joining fee makes you more invested in it and that might be a different way of explaining the same thing that you're saying but to me it's not it's not necessarily to say, okay, golf club, here's some, here's some money that co- con- is going to contribute to your capital expenditure. It's just me saying, yeah, I'm committing to
1: this. I, I mean, I, I don't think it works, though, in those terms, because <clears throat> I think people are more tr- much more transactional these days. And even if they have paid a joining fee or, or a percentage of a joining fee, if it's not working for them, they'll leave. They'll bemoan the fact that they've lost that money, but it won't stop them going. We know someone who's done just that, don't we? Who has been a member of a pretty decent golf club, was in the process of paying the joining fee. It hasn't worked out for them at the club, so they've left and that joining fee's gone. That percentage of the joining fees gone. So the loyalty aspect isn't because it didn't stop that person leaving. The club wasn't working out for them. So even though they'd paid that money, it wasn't enough to keep them at the club. And yeah, that's why I'm not sure, sure you sure date a sample of one is really enough. No, but, but I, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I know of other people that have done that. I have done it myself. Um, I was tempted to do it again um, because the club that I was at. Um, it wasn't working out for me. I've now found a way to make it work, but it wasn't working out for me in the way that I wanted. I'd paid a joining fee there. It wouldn't have made any difference to me. I'd have been moaned, as I said, the fact that I'd had to pay that money and I'd lost that money, but it wouldn't have stopped me making the decision. And that's why I wonder whether the loyalty angle on it is 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 really the way to go, or rather, why not say to uh, prospective members, right well you're going to be an owner of this golf club these assets are your assets the future assets are your assets so we expect you to contribute towards that in some way and here's and here's a way you do it you basically invest in the future of the golf club it's good it's good it's about i guess it's about social
0: code isn't it as well you are Mm. invested in the place where you're spending your free time i like it it's good um so i guess today's been about um cash in in our first attempt to discuss the price of club golf. We're definitely going to look at this topic again in future episodes, certainly in series two. Um, We're going to definitely look at cash out. So what golf clubs are spending your money on. Um, And we will definitely have Kevin Fish on, who is an expert in this field as a guest to discuss some of his data um, and the information that he's got that is it's very compelling stuff, isn't it? And it kind of it's amazing how ubiquitous some of the numbers are. We all think our golf clubs are sort of unique entities, but it's the stuff that I've read of his and watched of his, it's amazing how the numbers are so similar from one golf club to another.
1: Yeah, you'll be, you'll be a fantastic guest. Um, next time we'll get into um, what goes out in terms of costs and we'll talk specifically about how much a golf course costs to run. Because um, I think there are some eye-opening things for members to learn there yeah, as well. It's good stuff.
0: It's good stuff. Right. We better get to it, had not we? So it's. I think it's definitely time for Rules Corner. So I'm entering this week on a sort of crest of a wave. If If this was a kind of like, build up to a premier league weekend i'm i'm like w l w w with two games to play so i I just need to get this over the line really steve i've just i just hope you're fair-minded i mean i kind of understand that the, the difficulty of the question is in your gift but i kind of the game is sometimes greater than the result isn't it
1: absolutely absolutely and never would it be said that i'm petty (laughs) <laughs> although if I lose, although if I lose five one, you're going to get annihilated. Yeah, no pay- one's ever
0: called a uh, rules official petty. That's never happened.
1: So <laughs> we, we, right. So the one, luckily, um, I'm hoping you didn't study our website very strongly because this is actually the current rules piece on our website. So don't be clicking it up. Um, this is um, that's going to make so this <laughs> even worse. Gonna, this is something that happened to Omar Morales on the 15th hole of the final round of the Latin America. Amateur championship in Panama City, so the um, Omar's ball was wedged in a divot hole, right? And the replaced divot was sitting on top of it, right? So in, yeah. in the event in the event um, for Omar, the divot couldn't be moved um, the, without moving the ball. That would have come with a one shot penalty, basically. So it was all it was all handled, and he hit the shot, and he hit a very very good shot. Actually, and onto the fringe of the green, finished second in the end. But what I'm asking you is, could the divot have been moved at all? Is it a loose imped? Is there a loose impediment, or is there something in the rules that makes this situation, when a divot is replaced in a divot hole, a special case? So what I'm basically asking is, if he'd wanted to, if it wasn't, if it wasn't going to cause him a one-stroke penalty because the loose impediment would have moved the ball, could he have? could he have removed the divot pressed down in the divot hole no is the correct answer it's the correct answer so I'm sorry Um, that
0: I didn't I didn't deal with that any jeopardy but I've spent so much time in your company I've also spent so much time rolling my eyes at people saying that you should get relief from divots that there is no possible way that there's any special treatment for finishing on top of a badly replaced old divot and nor should there be
1: but the key is that it's the key is that it's replaced that's the key here. So i'm going to read to you so a divot can be a loose impediment in certain in yeah, if it's on top cases. of the ball
0: you could move it without moving the ball 100
1: but if you remove or press down divots that have already been replaced as this one has then you've taken actions that quote improve the conditions affecting the stroke you'll actually get the general penalty which is two strokes or loss of hole in match play there's a clarification to this rule because it's part of rule a there's a clarification to this rule that adds a bit more important detail you can't reposition the divot in the hole if it, it is quotes in the rule treated as part of the ground and not as a loose impediment even if it is not yet attached and growing now some people might say well what if the divot hasn't been properly replaced it's just lying on the top a clarification the same clarification says a divot is replaced when most of it with the roots down is in the divot hole now when i when i went on my level three course one of the referees who was doing the course told me about an incident with justin thomas where this had essentially happened like his ball was lying next to a divot which was half up and a bit in but because it was roots down the divot was cast as replaced, so he had to basically try and chop this shot Play out. It, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: so I've got one for you. Then I realised that I'd ask the questions here. Um I've got a friend called uh, Chippers, which is ironic because he's one of the world's worst short game exponents. And I was once playing with him on Moraliton on a particularly sort of muddy day. Uh, and he had a kind of 30-yard pitch into, I think, the second on the top nine. And he fatted it so badly that the divot sort of folded over the ball, which didn't move. And then the divot landed on top of the ball. He didn't know where it had gone. Um, we spent a few minutes trying to say he was just going to have to replay it on a sort of stroke and distance basis. And then told him that his ball was, in fact, under the divot that he'd just created. He can presumably remove the divot from the top of the ball, right?
1: Oh, are you going to ask me a question now? Do Did I have you to Googling get my real book out? Um, doing it. I'm getting my rule book out. Um, it is a well-known, uh, it, it's been done before, if, if you asked me, I'd sort of say if the divot's on top of the ball, I'd sort of. I, my, my feeling is it'd be a loose impediment. Um, yeah, yeah. I think if you, you move the, the, the ball, then that would be a problem. Um, but yeah. I'd have to look that up. I don't want to. You've caught me on the hop. One of the things about the rules is everyone thinks everybody knows the rules off by heart, which is not true. But what I know is where to find it in the rule book. Mm. So maybe I'll write about it and I'll give anyone the full answer.
0: Whilst we're on the subject of point of fact, I think you'll find that's 4 1.
1: Yes, it is, um, and I'm. I, I'm not being petty, um, but I am going to raise the stakes a little bit next week, and I am going to give your rules knowledge a bit of a test. We're not. We're not going to go crazy because that would just be wrong. But I think, um, I, you know, I'm not going to give you any stupid questions. But I think we'll. Your, your rules knowledge is decent, so I think we have to up the difficulty.
0: Yeah, I'm sort of championship Con- standard, aren't I?
1: Yeah, consider yourself on level two.
0: I'm like sort of. I don't know. I'm like. I- What's a good championship? Oh, basically borough of the rules game. <laughs> uh, that was good. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed having you all back to myself again. Next week is our season finale. I'm going to say this and Steve's going to shake his head at me and roll his eyes. We have got a very special guest who we've been trying to get for about two weeks uh, through assorted problems and, um, access to electricity being one of them, food poisoning being another. We haven't yet managed to get this guy on tape, but next week I promise you we will and you will not be disappointed. I'm going to watch football this weekend, Steve. I'm not playing golf.
1: So am I. Um, But after the delights of Sunderland and the Derby, it's Bristol City at home. It doesn't quite have the same ring to it. Sorry, sorry, any Bristol City fans.
0: But it is Live Las Vegas and the Waste Management. So there'll be no shortage
1: of stuff to talk about next week. Easy for you to say. (laughs) Thank you very much.